welcome back to the Hanging Hunt podcast. Um, we have a good one today. We were talking about what what topics we want to cover, and uh, Billy had the genius idea of of covering the Ten Commandments of recovering a deer, mm-hmm. and I think that's awesome because recovering the the deer that we shoot is. I mean, it's important for everybody, but it is super important for us. I mean, we cannot risk having an unrecovered deer in the suburbs. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that, that we've always harped on, but that's really carried through to to the way I hunt, the way I get my setup dialed. And I think it's something that we can really touch on and help people out with. Um, sure. And it's it's not just about not taking risks and things like that. There are very specific skills and techniques that we use to ensure that we're recovering every deer or at least you know every deer that we possibly can i mean up in the you know 95 98 percent of the deer we shoot we're recovering if not every one of them now we'll preface this with every bow hunter has difficulties when when they're hunting and um every bow hunter hunting long enough you're going to lose an animal and that yeah. is an unfortunate part of of bow hunting but if you can minimize that down to the tiniest tiniest percentage you're you're giving you know bow hunters a better i guess light in in public but then also even more importantly you're doing everything you can to ethically kill these deer animals and it doesn't matter what animal it is from a a squirrel to, you know, up to a moose or whatever so yep. yeah and, and you know you're shooting a, a live target Mm-hmm. stuff can happen yep. and and all we're trying to do is help people figure out how to stack the odds in their favor as much as possible to help minimize that risk and and figure out a way and i mean that's something that we do all the way from our bow tuning our our setups all the way through to you know picking your shot and then ultimately executing it mm-hmm. so um you know, I think it's really important for people to listen and, and kind of think through their setup and just be analytical and thinking, like, where do I potentially have voids here? Sure. Or what can I do better, right? Um, and so, you know, w- when we were talking about this, the number one thing that we both hit on right away is your equipment, mm-hmm. right? And so that first thing that comes to my mind is 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 your bow mm-hmm. and having it, you know, having the strings on it, inspecting your actual equipment getting it dialed as much as possible. And a lot of that you can figure out very quickly in, in a good tuning process, mm-hmm. so right? A, tune, a tuned bow is absolutely number one. It's your arrows flying perfectly. You're getting the best penetration. You're getting the best accuracy. And you are the most confident in a very, very well-tuned bow. And that's also going to, you know, uh, I guess equate to a good shot. Yep. And I think, you know, for me also, bow tuning you know, I started, I taught myself how to tune a bow mm-hmm. because I am insanely anal and I never felt like I could go to the bow shop and have them put the effort into my bow that I wanted for it to, to run at that optimal level. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking to have a formula one race car. You're not taking that to Jiffy Lube, right? Like, like that's not working on your car. Um, so and, and there are a lot of bow shops. Not, not we're not knocking bow oh, shops yeah, at by all. Far. There are, bow shops are, are fantastic, and that's where you need to go, especially if you don't know how to tune your bow at all. For sure, you absolutely go to your experts. And I'm not talking about big box stores that have a bow section. I mean, an actual 
bow shop. Yep. You know, that's that's where, look, those folks are trained by, for example, if they're selling Matthews, they have to be trained specifically on Matthews bows, how to tune them and how to tune them well. Yeah, for sure. And, and though, I, I think it's important to, for me at least, there was a lot of self-confidence that I got knowing that if I'm on a mountain somewhere, you know, I can look, if I break something or something gets bumped around, like I know how it's working to be able to get it back operational. Or even if I like drop my bow, you know, smash it hard, pulling up the tree and, you know, miss Susie's backyard, mm-hmm. I'm still able to look at it and I'm like, okay, well I know. Or if you let me fine. borrow it. Yeah. Then if you you're know. anywhere, if you're within my six foot bubble <laughs> of my gear, I know that there's what, potential for damage. Yes, the Billy footprint that has yep. been left on it. <laughs> Although, you know, the bow that you have right now, Taylor Coleman is the one who smashed that. Oh, yeah. Good he, for him. He dropped a climbing stick on it from like 20 feet up in the air. <laughs> and it was it was very karma-esque, though. We were in Missouri, and, you know, I have like a detailed system for everything. Yeah. We're in Missouri on a trip for First Light last year, and... um for some reason, when we got out of the tree, we we're like packing up other people's stuff. Actually, I remember why we had a Rambo bike, and Taylor had like oh, eighty right. pounds of camera gear. So I I took all the gear that I could because he had just like a pedal bike. <laughs> <laughs> Loser. <laughs> um, well, it was funny until my Rambo bicycle battery was frozen. <laughs> they went from eighty eight percent to zero. Yeah, because it like, was like ten degrees. Yeah, below. I was yelling, yeah, Taylor, come back. Get your camera gear. This bike's heavy. I can't pedal it. I'm leaving your shit here. But, um, yeah, so, anyways, the next morning we got out, and we went in, like, deep into this area, and we get to the base of the tree, and I was like, hey, do you have my platform? He's like, yeah. And he hands me the platform, and he's like, where's mine? I'm like, I didn't. I don't have one. <laughs> so somehow we had like eight lone wolf sticks. And so we made a ring of steps <laughs> with climbing sticks for him to vest on. <laughs> Poor guy. And uh, it's coincidentally enough, one of those sticks coming out of the tree smashed that vertex bow. Awesome. It works very well now. It does. It, 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 it <laughs> bent it right back to plumb. <laughs> so, but you being able to, you know, address the situation address the issues that it had and fix it killed deer that night with it there you go but yeah bow tuning whether it be done by a by a professional or you do it yourself or you just get it done by professional and learn the Mm -hmm. ins and outs of it it's important to and understand it's not a one-time thing your bow i know strings and cables don't stretch right but they do. They settle and stretch, and over time they wear, and that is a wearable item on your bow. So, yeah. you know, just because you bought, bought this brand new flagship bow last year doesn't mean that it's you're guaranteed to be in tune perfectly like it was at the end of the season last year. Yeah, especially after thousands of shots, right? For sure, it's it's important even after you get a brand new bow and you get it like out of the box tuned. Mm-hmm. After you put three hundred, five hundred arrows through it, you know, shoot it around, you need to There's constantly check it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean we. We're looking at the camera can't see, but like my paper tuning stands down here. I'll I'll shoot a couple arrows through that every once in a while, or you know just yeah. I mean, there's a there's a couple new arrows in there right now that weren't there the other day. Yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, yeah, we're always testing, but exactly. Uh, I, and then number two after bow tuning is the other component that you're fleeing at the animal, and that's your arrow setup. Yep. You know, and and I look at an arrow as 
you know, just as important as that bow because your bow never touches. Hopefully it never touches the deer <laughs> throwing your bow at the, at the deer. No, but that arrow, and it's not just the arrow, it's the entire component from yeah. your knock to your broadhead. And I look at an arrow as being, um, or I'm sorry, you want that combo to be, to have a ton of integrity. That's number one. I don't want it to fail. Make up for our integrity. Make up for ours, right? <laughs> I want that thing to be rock solid and just a hammer, right? I want to have a, a, I like fixed blade broadheads. Yep. Um, I like to have, like, we're running those day six arrows right now with that, the insert's got that outsert on it too. Yeah. It makes it so tough. They're super tough arrows. Um, Something I, else on those arrows, <clears throat> not to cut you off, which I just did, um, they are super straight because they're yeah. measuring the straightness of those arrows over the entire length of the carbon shaft. Whereas, what, what do they usually do with like other manufacturers? I think the, the standard in the industry is, I, th I believe it's 17 inches. So the straightest 17 inches of the arrow. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference. But, I mean, that's a third of it. Yeah. Right? And, or, you know, a little. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's half. A, yeah. Like, Damn it! Oh, I got that wrong. <laughs> Edit. <laughs> it's about one sixteenth of the arrow length. We're shooting them ninety-eight inch arrows. No, but it's important, um, you know, to to have because if you're picking the straightest section, mm -hmm. you can get a skewed sure. straightness. And so, um, by by having that full arrow be point zero zero one, I mean that's a straight arrow, and the Very. spines are, are tighter. Um, but yeah, so to your point, the, you know, to have the straightest arrow you can, we also like heavy arrows. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, obviously there's a, a point of diminishing return on a heavy arrow, but we're both in that 550 to 600 grain mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. Um, a pretty high FOC, high FOC, like that 17 to 18% range, uh, in a, in a big fixed blade head, you know, because for me, and we talked about this in one of our other episodes, but. I want the most forgiving setup I can have. Mm -hmm. So all of that is geared towards forgiveness because it has, you know, if you think about throwing a string versus throwing a, a rock with a string tied to it, okay, well, that's mm -hmm. FOC. Uh, if you start thinking about busting through stuff, I mean, how far would a dump truck go if a dump truck going 80 hit a, you know, ran into a building? Sure. Versus a Ferrari going 80 hitting the building or going 100. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has that, that momentum is, is pulling it through whatever it's hitting. And then a big fixed blade head, because I want to have the most forgiveness in shot placement. You know. So if you're off by, you know, a half an inch and you're shooting a you know, inch and a half, two inch cutting surface broadhead, yep. if you're off by that fraction of an inch, because this is a game of inches, yes. if you're off by that little bit, you're catching more vitals yeah right? and and i mean gosh it could just be like catching that one artery that you need mm -hmm. to hit because you know obviously the name of the game is putting a critter down but for us the difference in 50 yards and 200 yards is a big deal yeah it's a it's still a dead deer and it might have run another 10 seconds but that extra 100 yards that extra 75 that extra 150 yards means potential problems for yeah. us in the burbs that's the difference between mm -hmm. being on the property of the cia or not <laughs> right or being in a pool or not right i mean there's uh -huh. there's some major major negative repercussions to uh having a deer run further and so but you know then people hear that and they're like well why aren't you shooting like a big fixed blade expandable 
and expandables are fixed great. blade expandable <laughs> like, <laughs> secret, <laughs> secret alert i um i didn't finish my coffee yet today <laughs> so my math my mathematics are a little off as well as other parts of my brain so uh yes the old fixed blade expandable <laughs> the exp- a, a big expandable head that's what i was trying to say there. Mm-hmm. that's what happened in my head movies but my it's mouth like, movies were different. Have you ever seen those buck blasters they used to use? It was like a big, it lo- almost looked like a big thunderhead, but then it had like these wa- like huge Spitfire type of fold back uh, blades on it. Oh, I mean, over the top opening. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think they opened up to like two and a half inches. <laughs> plus, they head. had. I mean, it was just a monster, <laughs> yeah. you know. But anyway, but yeah. So why do you go with a fixed blade head over a large if expandable? You hit the shoulder blade. Mm-hmm. She ain't poking through that. No, I mean it might it might crack it, mm-hmm. but and you might get through one and get one lung. Yeah, but then again, you're back to the original scenario where it's like that's a major nightmare. Now, <clears throat> there are some spots that we hunt that are so small that I will shoot a big, like two inch expandable rage head, or um, you know the G five meat uh, what's it, dead meat head. It's like t- it opens to two inches. Mm-hmm. But on those properties, I know when I have that head on my arrow, I'm not shooting. I'm not even shooting 20 yards. I'm mm-hmm. shooting like 12 to 14 yards where the deer is quartered away, and I know there is zero, well, as close to zero potential as possible to hitting that, that near side shoulder. Yeah, and, and you're actually coming up on the very next number three would be shot placement. Yep. You know, uh, you, you mentioned that slightly quartering away in that broadside shot. My my preference on any shot on any animal, any big game animal, is a slightly quartering away shot. Um, I've taken them at all different angles, but that one seems to put them down the fastest. And, you know, aiming for that opposite, aiming for your exit, or what's your arrow going to go through, and then where do you want it to exit? Yep. You know, if, if it's slightly quartering away and you're coming out, you know, in the armpit or on that opposite front leg, that is a dead animal very very yeah, quickly it's cleaned out mm-hmm. and and shot the shot selection and shot placement is absolutely critical i mean like once you've gotten your bow dialed you got your right arrow you you know you got a pretty heavy arrow that's not going to stop at bone you got a broad head that can that bust through bone if you accidentally hit it you know then being able to look at a deer and read that deer's body language mm-hmm. and understand okay is this critter super spooked is it sca- is it you know do i have to make a noise to stop it if so that's going to cause the deer maybe to be more alert and drop a little more you know all of these are factors that you need to take into consideration and they're not like conscious thoughts really but it's just something that subconsciously you pick up on over time of because I think if, if you're looking at a deer and you're like, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, that deer is like a 7 spooky and mm-hmm. I need to aim 3.6 inches lower, like you're going to hate life hunting-wise. But if you're able to just be like, okay, this deer is coming in, it's a little spooky, you know, I'm going to need to take the first shot that I can on it uh, when it's presented, you know, in order to get a shot on it because this deer is on a more high alert and... Mm-hmm. I have more potential of getting pegged, whereas, shout out Nick Gates. <laughs> but, um, you know, whereas if a deer is coming in and it's like just, you know, Bob Marley deer, it's super chill and it's just hanging out and it's going to come 
eat all the acorns. You know, <laughs> it's like you you have all the time in the world to wait for that perfect quartering away shot where everything's opened up. There's no potential for smashing the the near side shoulder bone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like first figuring out when to draw and take the shot, but then immediately after exactly the shot selection could or shot placement could not be more important and mm-hmm. um you know aiming for that i i personally love to lay aim for the arrow's exit because i feel like w- picking that exit point is the best way to put an arrow through a deer mm-hmm. and i like to have the arrow exit a third of the way up the body like right behind or pretty much right through that offside leg. Mm-hmm. So if, if the deer, you know, sometimes you need to come out just in front of it or just behind it. But like if there was a golf ball on a tee or on that offside, you know, shoulder bone, like right where that big ball goes into the socket, that's where I'm trying to smash through with my arrow. And there's no scenario that if you don't put the, the arrow there, that it's not a, 30 yard run and, and pile up snowplow type shot. sure absolutely and and speaking about little you know when you have deer that are quartering away harder you know that can be a very very lethal shot and if they're quartering away pretty hard and you've got to put it back at that back rib and this is we're talking specifically from a tree right so if you've got to put it back there it's going to run up into the vitals right yep. and that's a dead deer it's not going very far and that's that's a proven good shot it's a little riskier because, you know, there's a, a, a smaller window. But then when you take, so let's say you're on the other side of the deer and it's a quartering two shot. Um, f- I've noticed that from the ground, from a from a, a same plane as the deer, a quartering two shot, and I, I don't condone quartering two shots at all, but a quartering two shot when you're on the same plane can be as effective as a quartering away shot. The problem people get into is obviously that bone on that near side leg, and that's a that's a big, big issue. But if you can get past it, it's usually a dead animal, especially mm-hmm. if you're using the setup that we do. The other issue that people have is they try to take that shot from a tree, from an elevated position. And when you're not on the same plane as the deer, your entrance is above a lot of those vitals that sit a little bit lower. You mentioned the bottom third of the deer. If you're in an elevated position and you shoot it from that quartering two side, you're going up above your entrance is above that lower third where you want your exit to be. And then your exit is not hitting everything. It's not hitting double lungs. It may hit one. Usually, you know, you'll get, you'll get a lung, but it's going to come out that stomach. It's going to come out the pooch. Yep. And that's going to be a recipe for disaster Absolutely. if you don't hit bone. So, well, I think people instinctively try to aim behind that near side shoulder. That's another one. Yeah, if they're, they, especially if they're quartering two, if it's quartering mm-hmm. two, and they stick it, and it's just a gut shot. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky, or you hit it like the hawk. I mean, the the margin for error is so small on a quartering two shot. It's um, not worth the risk. No, I it's mean, really that, if you're shooting an elk and an elk's coming in at like. 10 yards 20 yards like smoke that sucker you're on the ground if, if you're in a tree and you have a quartering two shot just wait mm-hmm. i mean even if if the if you're pegged shout, shout out, out nick yates, yates. <laughs> <laughs> even if that deer is looking up at you like what are you and giving the old mm-hmm. foot tap dance and and you're at full draw just wait can you get lucky sure 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, our buddy Brian smashed a giant shot. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say, yeah, he got lucky one time. <laughs> Three times. <laughs> <laughs> well, twice he was out of town. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, you know, you can get lucky, shoot him in the neck and, and have a dead deer and people are like, oh, look at this blood trail. It's great. So, well, yeah. But if you think about how the shoulder blades sit inside of a, a deer, like that's their armor, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we have big shoulder blades. That's why we have a breastbone. Same thing for humans. Um, that armor is set up to really not accept a quartering two shot very mm-hmm. well. Yeah, so, definitely. Uh, yeah, the the shot the shot process the shot selection is very important uh, to wait for that broadside quartering away and even you know aiming for the exit I think is the most important part of mm-hmm. all that because so often I see people try to like you know aim at the crease or aim you know an inch and a half behind the crease or whatever and. I have a lot of people that I've helped try to recover a deer where you ask them, you know, where is the deer standing? Oh, he was dead broadside. You know, where did you shoot him? I hit him perfect. You're like, well, dude, if you hit him perfect and he was dead broadside, you wouldn't be calling He would me. be 50 yards away. Right. Yeah. And so often those deer are actually slightly quartered too mm-hmm. at like a 15-degree angle and you just don't realize it. And guys will, if they're doing that and you aim for just behind the shoulder. You're coming you're, out in the pooch. Yeah, you're hitting them in the guts and the liver to begin with. Mm-hmm. You might get a tiny bit of single lung. But, I mean, I cannot count the number of times that I've been on a deer recovery that was a perfect shot, double lung, that was nicking the lung. It's, it's guts, liver. Mm-hmm. The guy pushed the deer too early. And that sucker is deep. In, mm-hmm. in wherever it went. So one, one other, uh, just a, a little piece of that that also tricks people is they think that deer, when they're broadside or quartering away or anything, that their bodies are in a straight line. Right. But their spines curve just like ours do. Or, well, ours don't curve <laughs> very, very much. A bottle of bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then it's all wavy, right? <laughs> no, but um, especially if a deer's coming in and it's perfectly broadside and you mat and stop it. What do they do? They look in that direction. Yes. And when they turn their head towards you, it it's their not shoulders just turn. Yes. But their hips are square. Their hips, yeah. their it's back hips are square. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, it's just like a semi, and that front turns. Well, guess what? All the vitals are in the front. Yeah. The vitals are upstairs. So when they f- turn towards you, you instantly have a quartering too. So it's not the whole body of the deer that's broadside; it's the front half of that deer that needs to be broadside or slightly quartering. That's away. a great point. You know, and I think a lot of people um, need to take that and, and just slow it down. You know, I mean, one of the other things that we talked about is kind of that form and shot sequence, which we're going to get into. But you know, you, you don't have to rush, and and that's the big draw to bow hunting, right? Is like mm-hmm. maintaining composure when you have the most insane adrenaline dump ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to just slow down and and just wait a second. Because when that deer comes in and you go, Mah, and it turns and looks at you, and then you're like, ah, and you just dump the string. Kelly Clarkson! <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> Nothing good is happening in no, that scenario, okay? No. And, and we're actually getting into, we, we've kind of, we've, we've mixed number three and number four. So number four is actually the position of the deer. Yeah. So we talked about the body position, but it's also the positioning of the deer in relation to you. Yep. Where you are in the tree, is it on your offside? Is it is there brush there? Is there are there limbs there? Are there twigs? Look, I'm no Levi Morgan, right? So I need to make sure I've got as much room 
for error as possible. So I don't I don't allow twigs to be on on the near side of the deer yeah. when I shoot. I can't thread That's the needle. That's why I got my well. new Excalibur crossbow that has two bolts. <laughs> it's double cocked. Have you seen that thing? Yeah, it's crazy. I want to pull both triggers at the same bah, time. Bah. <laughs> <laughs> Check out our YouTube channel for some fun content comes in. No, it, but that's one that's an important thing that you that you mentioned with the brush and everything. But also, I think so often people are only concerned about the ground distance from the tree they're in to the target animal, 18 mm-hmm. yards, 20 yards, 30 yards, whatever. But where you are in the tree matters as well. Sure. Your height off the ground, right? And, you know, you see these guys on a lot of these saddle hunting forums and stuff on Facebook where they're like, oh, you're only hunting 20 feet. I'm hunting 30 feet. You sissy. You yeah, can't get up like, 30 feet. I can like, do it with one stick. Right. I can do it with half a stick. Well, <laughs> for you. I can do it with no stick. <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah, hunting elevated gives you an advantage over your animals. However, there is also a diminishing return because the higher you go, the steeper that angle is. And now, I mean, you know, there's some scenarios where if you're like 25 feet, 30 feet off the ground to your to your chest and that deer is at like 10 yards, it's very hard to get two lungs. Yes. It's a very small window. Yes, you're 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 actually putting a handicap on yourself mm-hmm. more so than God already did to me. <laughs> <laughs> Mentally this morning at least. Yes. Yeah, my math is great. I actually wrote three seven times down here. <laughs> no, but, but I kept track of the numbers for you. Thank God. DeMatha versus O'Connell here. Um, but yeah, I mean to 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 Get way too high is not mm-hmm. helping you out. And so, I mean, I think that we've both, we, we really like that, you know, I like my feet to be at like 18 to 20 mm-hmm. feet, right? And and so that, I think, gives you the broadest angle, especially out to, you know, 20, 25, 30 yards. Sure. And if I have bow hunting distance. If I have cover, like if I have a tree that's tucked up with a holly all around me, I'm a really good cover, and it's only 10 or 12 feet off the ground, I'll take that over For sure. being above it and stuck out. So yeah, why leave I, cover to get higher? It's exactly, not helping you out. Exactly. Yeah. And even if it's five, six feet off the ground, I mean, like if you're in the cover – you know, deer are looking for movement. Now, mm-hmm. granted, there's some scenarios where if you have topography in- involved and you need to be higher or lower, like, that's totally fine. But um, for the most part, if you can get that cover scenario, like a cedar tree all mm-hmm. cut out, I'll hunt five feet off the ground. Sure. I've killed tons of deer doing that. Yeah. You don't need to be 30 feet up to, to kill a deer. Um, you just need to be incognito. Exactly. Quit moving around. So then next is your form and mm-hmm. your shot sequence. And that has a lot to do also with what you're hunting out of, whether it be a tree saddle or tree stand, <laughs> we're all hunting out of trees. Um, you know, tree, tree saddle or tree stand, you know, your form is important. Now I've found that my form to be way better in a saddle. Out of a saddle. Absolutely. Because, yeah. you know, I remember, you know, back in like the early two thousands, when I really started getting into bow hunting, my, First three shots on deer, I shot over every one of them. Yeah, hi. I'm like, what is going on? And my father's like, you have to bend at the waist. It's like, if you just drop your bow arm, and everyone's heard, don't drop your bow arm, bend at the waist so you keep that T form. Yep. With a saddle, you're already leaned. You're already leaned. You're already <laughs> leaning at that at that angle or close to it so you don't have to bend as much. Now, I won't say you don't have to bend at all, 
but as much you don't yeah, have to and bend. it helps that you know the saddle is locked around your waist so for me there's about 60 inches of fabric there <laughs> but it kind of locks you in it makes you bend at the waist mm-hmm. because you can't really bend any other way mm-hmm. so it it you know, I find that my form to be awesome out of a saddle. And then also part of that is the fact that when I'm in a saddle and a deer comes in, I don't have to worry about falling out of a tree stand. I don't have to worry about where my feet are or any of that stuff. Like, I know I can just focus on the critter, mm-hmm. focus on making the shot happen, because I'm tied in. Yep. And and you have that subtle, well, it's not subtle. I mean, you have that, that very solid positive reinforcement of, like, you're cool because you can feel your weight in the mm-hmm. saddle. Like, you're just sitting there. You're leaning against It's not like you're – even though – when in a tree stand with a safety harness, you're not leaning against that safety harness. You're just standing on a platform. And yeah. if you fell, you're going to fall a foot or so and have a jolt. But with that saddle, you know, that tether on the tree, you have that positive, uh, you know, force that's pulling you back towards the tree. Um, so with the shot sequence, one, it's being comfortable yeah. um, in, in that and uh, making sure you know, you see where the deer is coming in. I think on the last podcast you were talking about, I'm going to shoot the deer right there. Yep. I do that too. As soon as I see a deer coming in, a deer that I know I'm going to shoot, I stop looking at the deer and I start looking exactly where it's going and where I'm going to shoot it at. And then where I can draw. Yep. I always want to draw when the deer is not looking, when it can't see me, it's preoccupied, it's heads behind a tree, whatever. Yep. And I get to full draw at that point. Um, once I'm at full draw, everyone on earth has has had a little bit of buck fever. You know, when when a deer comes in, I don't even if it's a doe, you can still call it buck fever. You get the, the adrenaline, that adrenaline dump comes and it can really screw you up mentally. Uh, you've talked about, you know, any type of athletic endeavor going through your sequence, focusing on the sequence and the, and the procedure as opposed to the outcome. One thing that I've done a lot to calm myself down if I'm at full draw and I see it's antlers or whatever it is. And my father taught me this. He said, stop looking. If you, as soon as you know, you're going to shoot the deer, stop looking at the antlers. Yeah. Look to where you're going to shoot the deer, both its position and on its body. The next thing that I do is if I start getting nervous and I start thinking about, Oh, this is going to be a taxidermy bill or, Oh, I've got to field dress this deer. I'm wrecked. Right. It's, it ruins me. So I tell myself it's just another target. Yep. And then I'm in, then once I tell myself that it's just another target, then I go into kill mode and it's everything just slows down, calm. And when I shoot, I, it's almost like I don't shoot. The arrow just goes. Yeah. You know, subconscious. Kind it, of. it very much is. What's the sequence that you go through when a deer comes in? Let's say as soon as it comes into range, I'm either at full draw or getting to full draw. Yeah. So like when I'm in, when I flip the switch into kill mode, Mm -hmm. um, so I see target animal, whether it be a buck or a doe, they're coming in, I make the decision to shoot it. Instantly you start getting that adrenaline dump. And for me, it's funny to hear your sequence because I do the same thing where I'm saying, I just keep repeating to myself, stay calm, pick a spot, stay calm, pick a spot. And I'm just, you know, it's not like a, a chant. I just keep saying that until I calm myself back down and kind of like get on top of it. Um, and all I'm doing is I'm telling myself exactly what you are. It's another target. It doesn't matter if it's a spot. Like my dog, 
very shortly might be a target. Based <laughs> I, can, on, I can hear him. He's Ooh. freaking out upstairs. <laughs> probably an ice cream man. Um, <laughs> Again. <laughs> he knows what house to go to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, stay calm, pick a spot. Stay calm, pick a spot. And then once I, I'm looking at that deer, reading the body language, and I get to the point where it's time to draw, come to full draw, and then I just go through my process. And so my process which we've talked about before is I, I think of those old laser guided missiles in the, mm-hmm. the early nineties where, you know, my pin is that, is that laser guiding missile. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, stay, say in my mind, you know, pick the exit, paint it. So in my mind, painting it is putting that little pin right mm-hmm. on the, the exit. And then I just say, keep it painted while you pull, 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 pull. And I just repeat pull as I'm pulling, and then it just goes off. It's gone. Yeah, but I'm not thinking. You need to be confident because confidence is key, and you need to not get ahead of yourself. Because the second that you start thinking about that taxidermy bill or, oh, God, I need to be at home at 730, and I'm going to have to field dress two deer deer now, Mm -hmm. like – you know, this is not going to work. Um, if you start getting ahead of yourself and putting the outcome in, uh, ahead of the process, you will not. You will have an issue. You will have a problem. And, and the same thing that well, some people, you know, they have a negative thought. It's like, oh, I hope I don't miss. I hope I don't miss. Right. You're getting ahead of the process. Yes. You, I hope I don't miss means you're thinking about, you've already shot in your mind. You've already missed. You've already shot. Exactly. You and you haven't even drawn your bow yet. Yep. Right. So number six, you make that shot. The arrow's gone. Once that arrow leaves, there's nothing you can do about it after that. Once it's gone, it's either a miss or it's a hit. And hopefully at that point, you've done everything you possibly could to make sure the hit is exactly where you wanted it. And sometimes it's exactly where you want, but like we talked about in shot placement, it may be where you want, but was it at the right point to kill the deer very quickly? So... Um, immediately after the shot, um, the very first thing that I do is I put my eyes on that deer and I do not take my eyes off of the deer until I can't see it anymore. And you mentioned also listening for the deer, listening for sounds, listen for a crash, listen for a big splash, like it jumped in a pool, (laughs) (laughs) but you have to watch shrieking from the neighbor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you look, it's not, you're not just passively watching the deer run away you need to make active conscious effort to see okay it ran right by that oak tree right there on the corner uh, of the field or whatever the corner of the yard and it was on the left side about six feet away that's the very last spot that i saw that deer and you do everything you can to memorize that spot yep and the reason why is because sometimes you shoot a deer, a lot of times you shoot a deer and there's blood within five or 10 feet. Sometimes there's not blood, especially if you hit them a little higher. Yep. There isn't blood for 40 yards sometimes. And yeah. if, if it's thick vegetation, you don't see them. You need to go to that last point. That's where you have a higher opportunity to find blood than right at your arrow. Yeah. So. It, in you know, I like to almost just look and listen fully without like thinking to myself, right? Because I'm just letting my brain absorb everything, mm-hmm. right? So I'm just watching it run. You're watching how it's running. You're looking for blood. You're looking, you know, you're making sure it doesn't have an arrow sticking out of it, mm-hmm. kind of doing a wheelie. Um, you know, you listen for that crash. You, 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 I love to watch their tail. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see a deer run 50 yards and stop, 
and then you watch that tail is low and tight and it starts flicking really hard, you know, that's a way better sign than up and flagging. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all these little things, little pieces to the puzzle that are absolutely critical to recovering that animal. Mm-hmm. And, and again, just looking and listening, super important. Um, if you do shoot a deer and you think, oh, it's a perfect shot and it looks perfect, everything about the shot, it was just executed perfectly and you zap that deer, and it runs off 30 yards, 40 yards, 50 yards, and stops, and its back is hunched up, and it stands there for an extended period of time, that was not a perfect shot. No. That is 100% a shot back. It could be liver, which is better than full in the pooch, Yep. <laughs> but that is absolutely back no matter what your brain's telling you no matter how good of your shot how good your shot was if it hunches up and it stops it's 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 hit back so you need to know these yeah little you know and if you signs. make a perfect shot and that deer standing there with its tail straight up and it's not hunched <laughs> and then it starts making uh what did what did one guy call me and he said it started barking at him <laughs> that's not the, th- the deer was barking at you <laughs> um you know, like if it if it does that, you you missed, mm-hmm. right? And so, just paying attention to all those things is really important. But assuming that you haven't gotten a hunched back, assuming the deer didn't stand there at fifty yards with his tail up or down, you know that deer tore off out of there, and you heard, you know, some breaking of things and then silence. Um, the next thing that I'm doing, or the next thing that I think is super important, is kind of thinking through exactly what just happened mm-hmm. the answers to those questions result in how long are you waiting to pursue the deer mm-hmm. right and so what i'll do is assuming that everything went well so this is number seven yeah yep okay so your wait times and kind of how to follow up yeah wait times how to follow up mm-hmm. and, and so i'm thinking through okay you know did the shot break how I wanted? How was the deer standing? How did the deer react when I hit it? Did it tear off hard? I'll take my binos out and I'll look for blood on the ground. I'll look for my arrow. Quite often I can see my arrow and, and you know, one of the other things that we're going to talk about is having your gear set up. So I like to have a big white wrap on my arrow mm-hmm. with big white veins. And that allows me to see the blood. I mean, I can see it from the tree a sure. lot and I can see that there are bubbles in it or, you know, whatever. And so, Assuming that everything went well with the shot placement, uh, how the deer reacted, you know, and and let's say the hunt's over. Because quite often with doing what we're doing where we have, you know, we're in deer reduction mode. We're, we're in population control. You know, we might sit and shoot another one. We might mm-hmm. shoot three more, you know, whatever. It, it's our job to reduce the deer. But if we're if our hunt is over and everything went well, I'm going to get down and I'm going to get my arrow. I'm going to start inspecting the arrow. Because I want to know. So what... will you get down immediately? Now, you, now I'm going to preface this. You emphasized if everything went well. Yes. So you, you feel very confident. The deer ran and gave you every indication that, that it's a dead deer. And maybe you heard a crash and things like that, right? Yes. Okay, then you'll get down. I still am going to wait about a half hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's not getting more dead, yeah. right? And and nothing good comes from going too early. Now, mm-hmm. if it's if it's warmer out, where the meat could potentially spoil, mm-hmm. you know, that, that difference in a half hour could possibly cost me food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then Papa Bear is getting on it right, <laughs> right away. But, yeah, I mean, assuming that the weather is, is conducive to letting a deer, 
you know, not spoil in 30 minutes, which is a very small window of, of when we hunt. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting a half hour before I get down. I'm going to pack my stuff up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, I might even go to the truck and, and get my kill kit and stuff and, and dump off a bunch of other unnecessary items before mm-hmm. I come back. Because, again, there's really no harm in waiting unless there are some outside circumstances. Like some of the spots we hunt, if a deer runs towards a road, you know, I'm going to go glass that road real quick. Just make sure that there's no deer dead in the middle of the road. Or, or in someone's front yard exactly. or in, in an exposed area. Yeah, mm-hmm. because the last thing we want is any negative impact for the, the surrounding property mm-hmm. owners. Um, but, yeah, if we're in the middle of the woods and the deer ran off to a to a thick area and crashes, I'm waiting okay. 30 minutes. Let's say you make a marginal shot or you shoot and something just seemed a little bit off. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to think through what potentially was off, mm-hmm. why it was off, where that shot was. Um, you know, it's always great to have a picture of, of a deer anatomy on your phone so you can kind of think through where did I hit this animal. Um, I'm going to look at my arrow, and I'm going to let that arrow and my thought process of where I hit that critter determine how long I wait. Okay. So if I have liver or one lung liver, whatever, I'm waiting at least six hours. What about if it's right in the pooch? If it's right in the poover, I'm waiting for at least 12 hours. Minimum. Minimum. Or longer. Definitely longer if Mm -hmm. if able. And so that's where we hit this weird, like, tough scenario between hunting in the suburbs, you know, and what I might do is I might drive around the neighborhood very, uh, you know, discreetly. And just make sure there isn't a deer laying in somebody's front yard or, you know, the deer's not bedded up in, in the neighbor's yard looking around, making sure it's safe, right? But as long as there's no immediate, like, obvious PR issue on my hands, I'm letting that deer wait 12, 15 hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, Even a day, 20, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, look, again, the thing's not more dead. You can't. It, you can only screw it up from here mm-hmm. because those animals, if you bump a deer that is fatally hit, like it's going to die, but it's going to die a mile away because you've, you've now triggered that fight or flight instinct. Deer aren't fighting you. They're fleeing. And when they have that adrenaline, that is a literal life and death adrenaline dump, their body is doing everything it can to evade that predator. Mm-hmm. And it's gone, man. And they know the terrain hell of a lot better than we do yes and they're going to find a much thicker much you know more difficult area to access for us yeah and and deer are able to do some crazy like to traverse some insanely awesome terrain Mm -hmm. they i mean i've looked at hills where i'm like there's no way a deer went that. deer didn't do that yeah and and then like following the blood and i'm like clawing up with an ice pick going like good god man you know like it and you didn't claw up. You went around. I did go around. <laughs> so don't, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Right, right. Yeah. So you, you kind of touched on number eight also, and it's the sign. So inspecting the arrow um, and inspecting any sign that you do see. Let's say you've waited the appropriate amount of time. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I won't even, if, if it's a marginal shot, I won't even go over to the arrow. Yeah. I'll do it. everything I can. If I know I'm going to back out and wait. I get down as quietly as I can way after, like hour, like hour and a half, as long as I can wait. And I stealthily, as stealthily as I can, get out of there and back out. And also, people don't always think about this. You want to get out 
downwind. Yeah. Do not walk upwind of where you think that deer may be bedded. Because a lot of times if you hit them back, they don't go more than 100 yards. But they're very alert and they can smell you and you can spook them just by your scent, just like you can sight and smell. They, so They will almost always bed within 100 yards mm-hmm. of where you shot them. And it is so important to be silent. And that's mm-hmm. where you're talking about not even checking your arrow. Yeah, if I'm hitting one, if I hit one in the guts or back and I don't know where it is, Checking my arrow does me no good. Nothing. I know where you I already know it, it's back, and I'm getting out of there. I will, yeah. I will leave all of my stuff in the tree, and just you know slowly get out of there because my stuff's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to bump that deer. I cannot take the risk of bumping that deer. And and you know we're hunting in a pretty extreme scenario, being the suburbs. Most of these people, the people that are listening to this, you probably aren't. But don't you want to find the deer within a hundred yards? Mm-hmm. Why cover? you know, a couple miles and go knock on neighboring farms that you can't. I mean, like, regardless of where you're hunting, if you hit one like this, back out. You mm-hmm. know, if you get to your four-wheeler, just put it in neutral and push it a little ways before get you turn away. it on. Definitely like, without Do not doubt, make it away. obvious because that deer most likely does not know what happened. It mm-hmm. was walking. Now it's got a boo-boo. Its mm-hmm. tummy doesn't feel good. What's going on? I'm going to go bed down. Mm-hmm. And and if, unless you give it more of a cause to know that a predator did this to them, they might just think they got, you know, they ate some wrong salad and they're sitting down for mm-hmm. a while, right? So it's important to not make any noise to, to that effect. The um, the uh, So another piece to that arrow and that's, that inspection, you talked about having white fletchings, a white wrap. Um, there's also reflective wraps, um, like there's a bunch of companies that make them see yeah. easy and there's a bunch of them that um those are all very very helpful that have you seen the uh, gut check indicator yeah so that will actually change color and tell you i think it's almost like it is basically a litmus test because the ph of the digestive system is higher than the rest of the body so it'll actually change color for you, you can, so you can sometimes get some false positives false negatives you know a little bit of a of a false reading mm-hmm. on those white fletchings because if that animal was hard quartered away well maybe if i'm aiming at the exit i have to put it in the guts mm-hmm. or, or start it pretty close to the guts mm-hmm. there might be a little gut material on there even though it cleaned the deer out or you know vice versa but what is absolutely imperative i think equipment wise is a lighted knock yes because a lighted knock allows you to see where it went without quite i mean i literally have like a freeze frame picture in my mind almost every time that that arrow is disappearing and that's where also filming your hunts is is helpful for us but even if you just have like a gopro strapped to your stabilizer and and it's not something that you want to use to like share with people or, or put on you know a high production value into it's really pretty helpful to have that lighted knock and and watch where the arrow's going mm-hmm. and i can't i mean there have been tons of times i'm like oh i smoked that deer and i'll go back and watch the footage and i'm like oh that Whoa. wasn't exactly perfect like mm-hmm. I thought. And, and maybe you know everything works out fine right but it's it's just always good to learn from that and, and the lighted knock is super awesome to have I, I totally agree um i remember the first time i shot one with a lighted knock and it was a green lighted knock and it was in the summertime on damage permit and i remember everything was super lush and green and i forgot that i had had a lighted knock that thing went off it was this b 
beacon of glowing green. And you would think that it would blend in with all these green foliage. No, it stood out even more. It was incredible. Oh, yeah. Dude, um, they are bright. And they're they burn awesome. for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And totally worth it. Um, the only caveat to that is you want to make sure that you've got enough weight up front yep. that it's not throwing your front of center off and, on your arrow. And also, you know, some of the earlier ones that I got, the shoulder of the knock was significantly higher than my practice arrows. Mm-hmm. And it was creating a lot of knock pinch and a very erratic flight. So I would I would really suggest to anyone out there, make sure that the arrow knock that you're shooting, if you're shooting a lighted knock, matches your practice knock as closely as possible. Absolutely. And you might have to swap your practice arrows out to get them closer to the knock, mm-hmm. right? But whatever you're doing, get them as close as possible um, because you will only have good things happen. With Absolutely. Of you know, and with the sign that you might find on that arrow, um, I learned through many deer that we've been, we've trailed and we've shot that if you have an arrow that looks like it was dipped in red and it's like completely coated and there's, it's almost like you couldn't have painted it any better. That isn't always an excellent shot no a lot of times that's liver yes okay and especially that darker it's metallic yeah and it's like it's almost like the consistency it's like a higher viscosity Mm -hmm. it um it doesn't wipe off as easy now juxtapose that to putting one through the lungs where we've both shot them through the lungs and the deer piled up and we saw it die within 50 yards and you go to the arrow and you can barely see any blood on it and there's like no blood on the ground there's no blood on the ground it's like there's there's really not much blood at all now you can you look at that white you can you can pick out you wipe piece of toilet paper or something like that which we always have to bring with us in the the woods but you wipe something white on that and you can see oh well there is blood on it because i've i've shot and gone i killed that deer i saw it go through the deer i go over to it and there's no blood on the arrow i'm like what happened what and i check (laughs) and obviously the deer died and but when it goes through the lungs sometimes you, there's not a lot of blood now if you go through the heart it's kind of in between the two yeah you know if you hit one of those big arteries um and and the lungs and the heart you're going to have more blood uh than you would just going through the lungs um but it's definitely not like that painted liver shot and and also um you know we've both been on a lot of blood trails for other people where people are like oh look i smoked this deer it's got this like you know heart blood and in, and they're looking at a bright red bright pinkish blood but if you have that blood without bubbles in it that is not good blood that is that is muscle blood mm-hmm. that is trying to clot and that's normally always along with a shoulder hit or sometimes like a brisket hit deer mm-hmm. um but or, or that shot that's like on a quartering away it's too far forward and it goes in between the rib cage and the leg and it comes yep. out like yeah, and, and they'll just bleed like crazy for like 100 yards and plus, and then they just peter out and die. Yep. And that's because the, the animal has clotted up. And, mm-hmm. you know, deer are able to clot insanely quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we've been on deer that we've like, smoked that the blood's already clotting on. Mm-hmm. And you're going like, good gosh. You know, and that's yeah. – and, and I also read a study where deer are able to bed up and slow their heart rate down to allow hmm. that – that wound to clot even faster because wow. it's not pumping blood out hmm. as, at such a high pace, which I thought was really cool. You know, 
I've been on blood trails with people before, and, and it's usually usually when we're on someone else's blood trail, they're calling us in because there's an, an yeah. issue. Yeah. We so, don't get called in for good things. It's like, hey, <laughs> hey, this deer went 40 yards. Can you come help me track it? No, yeah. we don't get called for that. So they when they say things like, oh, I found a piece of the lung on the blood trail, I'm like, that's not a piece of lung. That's a, that's a clot. Yes. That is it. it almost it's like the consistency of like jelly or and you anybody who's field dressed a deer when you it's like a, a chunk of coagulated blood that's, yeah. and that's exactly what it is so um reading that sign appropriately will help you on that blood trail Absolutely. without a doubt i think number nine i put down um is i think one of the it's an understated important fact on recovering deer it's knowing the land the landowner and your property boundaries and what's around yeah and you kind of hit on this with is there a road there is there a front yard there is there a park there is there some visible thing but if you're hunting in the in in the rural areas and it runs out you know across a certain field and it goes you know off property how are you going to get to that deer now there's different um, the legal ramifications for just following a deer off property and you don't have permission. Uh, in our state, you have to contact the landowner to get permission. To, and I think that's a best practice anyway. Yeah, but know, uh, know the laws know, of, of where you're hunting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so often I think people get pigeonholed in by property lines. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking like, you know, you have to think like the deer. The deer have no concept of property mm-hmm. lines. There's just, you know, the thicket over there. Yep. That's where I'm going to because there's no danger over there. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm crossing the fence. Yeah, just, it doesn't matter. Just, yeah. Or the cornfield or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important to to think outside of your property lines, depending on where that animal was hit. But, I mean, if you're hunting close to a property line or whatever your scenario might be, if, if you didn't make that perfect shot where a deer can run 50 yards and pile up, and even so... You know, if you make a heart shot on a deer, we've seen deer that if you pop just the heart. Mm-hmm. And don't hit lungs. They can go a, a long way. Especially at low heart hit. Yeah, because I think it gets, you know, the heart is still able to function a little. Mm-hmm. And, and then basically the deer has to bleed out. Correct. Instead of having it suffocate, which mm-hmm. it does when you pop that diaphragm. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to, to know exactly where you hit. And if you made a perfect shot, everything shows it's perfect. The arrow's great. You watch that knock disappear perfectly, and you've gone more than 50 yards, it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. you can keep going in that scenario. But, again, like, when in doubt, back out rings so true so often. And I think we should touch on that, too, because when people say when in doubt, back out, it literally means when you go, hmm, <laughs> Yeah. That's 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 when you're doubting. Yes. That is the doubt. That yeah. means you stop right there and you don't go. Well, maybe I'll just kind of circle Ten here. more yards. Yeah, yeah no, no. That, that's that's that is the doubt. Because so, so go ahead and back and, out. And how many times have we heard from guys that were like they got to that point and they were like, well, I'll just go another twenty yards, and mm-hmm. then then they bump the deer. Yep. Like you have a a sixth sense inside you. Like, listen to it. Sure. Don't, don't override it. And right. if you get to that point where, you know, you think you need to back out, it's because you do. Yep. And you need to stop and turn around and leave quietly. So that, with number nine, I talked about land, using Onyx and things like that. Using Onyx so you can see the land, but then also track yourself. It's a very, it's, a, it's literally one button. You can track where you walked. You know exactly where the blood trail is. So when you do have to back out, when you do doubt the issue the the shot 
you can go right back to that spot and even take the same path or you go i'm gonna you go know, a little higher a little higher a little, yeah yep. and and maybe and then that's a exactly it's very difficult to grid search without proof that you did grid yeah. search and also to that same point using a technology like onyx or any type of mapping feature you know when you're out there scouting this time of year in the spring make note of the thickets mm -hmm. make notes of the areas that you're finding sheds in mm -hmm. you know like make notes of the areas that are covered in poop where you know deer are going um if it, you find deadheads guess what that's a good area that deer like to go to when they die yes so if they're hit you found deadheads. We on the Sicadier property. We found two stags that were killed, and I mean they died. They were not. They didn't die of old age. So most likely they got shot, um, and they were within fifty yards of each other in an area that no one has hunted in twenty five years. So we, we said, well, this is a spot we know that they feel safe in. So yep. think about that too. Um, uh, number ten is persistence with patience. Very good. So that persistence means going until you've exhausted literally every opportunity to recover that deer. You've knocked on every door. You've covered every square inch. If a landowner doesn't allow you to uh, step onto the property, you don't just go, well, they won't let me go yeah, trail the deer. Go to so the next one. Go to the next one. If, Look for birds. Do Call the game warden if someone doesn't allow you to go onto the property. Do everything you have to do. And, you know, I've looked for deer before for days, and I knew it was spoiled. Um, our buddy Adrian, the buck he shot this year, it took him days to find that deer. Yeah. And granted, it was, um, you know, it, it didn't work out the way that he wanted to, but he did find that deer. That's persistence. He did everything that he possibly could to find that deer. He spent days. He took off work. He did everything to try to salvage to tr to to you know finish the hunt and you, not just quit you owe it to the animal mm -hmm. right and and you also owe it to yourself to know what happened and i mean if you're taking the responsibility of harvesting that animal on yourself when you draw your bow back and you decide to let an arrow loose you need to see it through to completion absolutely and, and if it takes two days three days a week you know whatever it is you need to get out there and and find you know, that animal. And I think that even, you know, even for Adrian where, uh, you know, he did an awesome job putting mm -hmm. in the time to, to find that critter, but you know, now where they go mm -hmm. now, if that God forbid ever happens again, you know, the area that they might go to, you mm -hmm. know, kind of the, the process where, and you're learning the land more and you're learning what deer think and how to track them yep. more and, and more. it's a, it's a, it's a rough scenario, but you're, getting better because of it and ultimately you know if you take away a little bit of learning every time that you shoot an animal like that's that's how you should be trying to grow as a hunter right? absolutely nobody should be just complacent with where they're where they are yeah you you have to make those improvements you know so you can become super efficient and a lethal killer um and with that persistence that doesn't mean to rush it doesn't mean to you know, go hard and go fast. You still have to be patient. And that patience not only applies to backing out, it also applies to when to call it quits. Sometimes you just have to go, you know what? I just need a break. I need a mental break. Leave, go get a cup of coffee, go eat a sandwich, get a friend, get some buddies, and then go back and try again. Yep. Just be patient with it. Calm down that you're 
oh, I, I don't want to walk through the bedding area. I'll, I'll spook the big buck I was after, but my deer went through there. Well, you know what? That big buck's going to be there next year, you know, or maybe next week or something. You owe it to the deer uh, that you shot to follow that through. But be patient, stay calm, and, and, and um, stay positive with it, too. Yeah. If, if it's a lethal shot, you can find the deer. Yep, take it slow and just, just think it through and kind of walk yep. through the process and, and – you know, I think that you said it perfectly where you're persistent, but patient yeah. and, and don't rush into it because that's where the majority of, of the deer that we get called in to help on somebody, you know, made a poor decision. Most of the time they've made a poor shot selection. Mm-hmm. They rushed the shot. They hit it where they didn't need to, but where that got 10 times worse was when they pushed too hard too fast and then bumped the deer. Yep. And that's that you can't do. So as long as you're, you know, patient, you can make up for that poor judgment potentially, and then you can learn from the whole thing. But if you go diving in afterwards and that deer blows, you are in trouble. Yeah, then it's going to be very, very challenging to find. So um, I think just to sum up, Ten Commandments of Doing Everything You Can. Every time you say that, I hear Biggie Smalls counting in my head. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's a Ten Commandment. Number yeah. one, have a well-tuned bow. Yep. And, and, and the arrows, you know, tuned bow with good strings on it, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're reducing that potential for failure. Arrows and broadhead. Yep. Number two, you have here. the your, your solid arrow broadhead combo. Uh, number three, shot placement on the deer. You know, not taking those risky shots. I think I can. Well, I think I can sneak this one. I can do that. And then um, also the uh, number four would be the uh, the the, sh- the body position um, and and the shot selection, mm-hmm. um, making sure that you have uh, you know that your your proper form in the tree. You don't have uh, obstructions and things like that. And and making sure the deer is in the right position to shoot at towards that good spot um or i think number five number five was uh your form and um you know shooting from uh you know your tree stands versus saddles and then your shot sequence all the way through making sure that that's dialed in you're thinking through the process as opposed to the outcome you don't want to jump to uh, that outcome um number six is what do you do initially after the shot you know you want to take it all in everything visual and, and and auditory uh, you want to memorize those things, hone in on those last spots that you saw that deer and go look in those areas. Use your binos um, and look for blood on the ground. Look for your arrows. Uh, number seven, we talked about the wait times, you know, how to follow up, um, when to back out. Um, number eight, the sign that you find not only on the ground, but on your arrow. Um, uh, number nine, knowing the land, using tools like Onyx knowing the property boundaries and how to follow that deer when it does go off property. Um, And number 10 is that persistence, doing whatever you have to do to find that deer and being patient along the way. Absolutely. Well, hopefully that's helpful to everybody out there that's listening or watching. And I'd love to hear feedback from people that are listening to this that, you know, maybe they think that there's something that we didn't touch on. Mm-hmm. Or um, if there's a topic on here that you'd like to add on or you want to hear more about sign or you want to hear more about, you know, shot placement, 
broadheads, whatever. Let us know. Let us know in the comments, whether it's on YouTube or hit us up on Instagram. Um, or our OnlyFans account. Or our OnlyFans. <laughs> oh, Angie loves me. <laughs> yeah, but let us know what, what you want to hear, what you, you know, stuff, if, if you want a deep explanation. Is it flooding? What was that? I don't know. It sounded like a turlet flashing. <laughs> Is your dog using the toilet upstairs? Yeah, he's well trained. Oh, good. I had somebody ask me that one time at when we lived in a very, uh, we lived in the city for mm-hmm. a while. And I remember one time I was walking my dog, Wyatt, who's a puppy, who was a puppy at the time. And these two chicks, it was like four o'clock in the morning, right? Three thirty in the morning. 4 you weren't walking your dog at four o'clock. Yeah, in the morning. dude. When he was a puppy, you have. I had to set an alarm to take him out because his bladder oh. was so small he couldn't sleep through the night. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time these two chicks were like, they were messed up. They were like not drunk, messed up. They were on something. Mm-hmm. And they're like little hippie chicks, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, your puppy is so cute. And I'm like, yeah, get away. he bites, get away. <laughs> right? I don't want to be awake. I just set an alarm to take my effing dog out. I want to go back to sleep. Yeah, and um, I remember one was like, why don't you just teach him how to use a toilet, man? And I was like, nice talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank See you so you. much. Take care now. Bye-bye then. Yeah, enjoy your acid trip. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, no, because it's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was it was Meet the Parents, wasn't it? Where Mr. Jinxie, the cat, oh, yeah. did use, use the, the toilet. toilet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, left it running. So, Well, thank you guys for listening. Hit the subscribe button. Leave a comment uh, below if you want anything covered. And please also give us ratings and reviews. It helps us out a little bit. Um, it helps us get the algorithm in our favor. So, Yeah, definitely share these podcasts with some of your friends, uh, family, um, anyone who you think could benefit from something like this especially anyone who lost a deer that drug you out and you had to lose a day of hunting yes um send this to them so they can you know maybe hear it and take a little ribbing from you so now we're going to give a shout out to all of our friends that made us do that (laughs) you'll see that in the description below (laughs) yeah all right thanks for listening guys we'll see you soon take care